We can go ahead and be seated. I want to invite you to begin making your way to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 13. I'm going to look at it, verses 17 through 22 this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 13. And I want to frame our, our study of God's Word this morning by, by asking a question. That question is this, what, what are we supposed to do when the Lord takes us down a different path? A path we didn't plan on, a path we didn't account for, a path we perhaps never expected. Uh, my guess is that most of us in here have lived long enough to know that uh, no matter how careful we are in, in, in mapping out the future, no, no matter how much we'd like to uh, organize the details of our lives, things don't always work out the way that we intended to. So I want to ask the question, how do you and I respond to what are seemingly interruptions in our lives? And I think how we answer that question really says something about how you and I view God. I mean, you see, when, when his plans turn out to be different than our plans, it forces us to come to grips with one particular attribute about who God is, and that's the providence of God. And the providence of God is the means by which God directs all things. I mean, everything, whether, whether seen or unseen, whether, whether good or evil, that God is directing things, and, and not just directing, but directing them toward his purposes. The things that God has determined. Like how J. Vernon McGee put it once, he said, Providence means that the hand of God is in the glove of human events. God is, God is in the midst of everything. Perhaps one of the best hymn writers to capture the providence of God was, was William Cooper. He, he wrote a hymn that may be familiar to, to many of you. It's entitled, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And listen to to just a sampling of what he wrote. He said, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling Judge not the Lord by a, a feeble sense. Judge not the Lord by our own understanding, but, but trusting in Him. I, I think those words are fitting to kind of prepare us for the passage that we find in Exodus chapter 13. When we come to Exodus chapter 13, it, it is dealing with the providence of God in our lives, which is often surprising, sometimes unfathomable as to how God works, and yet it's that same providence that surprises us it's always reliable. It's, it's a vital truth you need and I need for the times when life takes a different turn. So if you, if you go over to Exodus chapter 13, we, we find the Israelites just having been released from slavery in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. And, and God worked a number of plagues in Egypt as both a means of judgment upon Egypt, but also as a means of releasing the Israelites. And, and so they're free. They're, they're leaving. And they begin to make their way to the promised land. There was probably about, uh, Scripture tells us, 600,000 men. That's not counting the women and, and the children. And so they start going towards the promised land, but then something unexpected happens. Something counterintuitive, something that 
from our standpoint and their standpoint, probably didn't make sense. Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you. They moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So what are we supposed to do when the Lord takes us down a different path, something unexpected, something we didn't plan for, something we weren't anticipating. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? And the very first thing we see is that we are supposed to trust in his wisdom. Look at the first part of verse 17 again. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, the the normal, fastest, quickest way to go was what they called the way of the sea. And, and it was a trade route from the Nile through northern Sinai into Canaan. And the land of the Philistines was near. And, and, so, um, and so God sent them southeast instead through the desert. And it didn't really make sense. Think of it this way. It would be like if you're going to go take a trip to Omaha, Nebraska, but you stop in Fargo first. It doesn't really make any sense. I mean, it's in the opposite direction. I mean, nobody in their right mind would, would say, I'm going to go to... Sioux City from Sioux Falls, or Omaha to Sioux Falls from, by way of Fargo. It didn't make any sense. And, and so God took them down a different route, a different direction. And if they'd taken the easier route, the way of the sea, uh, it actually would have only probably taken them about two weeks to get to the promised land instead of 40 years. We talk about taking the scenic route. I mean, but I think one of the things... God is showing us is that just because there's a short way doesn't mean it's the best way. Now, you and I don't always get to know why God does what he does. After all, as William Cooper said, God works in mysterious ways, and so we don't always know what the Lord is doing, what he's up to, what his intentions are. However, in these circumstances, we're given the reason. It said there were enemies in that direction, and you get the idea that the Israelites weren't exactly ready for battle. Look at the second half of verse 17. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And in other words, he's saying, listen, I know them. And the second they see trouble coming, they're going to go right back to where they came from. I just delivered them from 400 years in slavery. And, and they're at such a point, they're so weak in their faith that they're going to turn around and go right back into captivity. God knew that that had they taken the fastest route, there would have been a number of Egyptian fortresses on the way, and then only to get to the end of the line and, and meet the Philistines, who weren't exactly their best friends. The second half of verse 18 tells us that the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt 
equipped for battle. Well, that doesn't mean that they were ready to fight. It just means that they were in the right formation, that they were, they were doing their marches. And, and we know this because later in their journey, uh, they get to Canaan and, and they see how big their enemies are. We find this in Numbers chapter 14. And here's exactly what they said. They said, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's turn around. Let's not fight. Let's go back. And so the Lord knew that as soon as they got out of Egypt, that if they faced war, they'd, they'd just go right back into bondage. He didn't just know the events. He, he knew their hearts. He, he knew what lay ahead. He, he knew what was safe and good and wise. And he knew the lessons his people still had to learn about his character and his holiness and his grace and his covenant that they could only learn by trial and suffering. The Lord said, instead of two weeks, it's going to take you 40 years to get to where you need to go. And so while it may have seemed obvious at all, or, or, even, or even to the wise people today, God led them in almost the opposite direction from their desired destination. And that is the wisdom of God. That is the providence of God being experienced firsthand. God is working His purposes out year after year after year. And you and I, as believers, have to get to the point where we ask the question, do we really believe that? Do we believe that in the midst of trials, difficult circumstances, unexpected turns and twists in life? Do we really believe that God is providentially at work? I think there's times when, when we're tempted, just like they are. I mean, we're, we're, we're tempted when we get to the border of Canaan and judge the Lord by our own feeble senses to, to wonder, whether we say it out loud or not, God, what are you thinking? This is a disaster. But to suggest that, that God is ordering the events of our lives in a way that is silly and a disaster and wrong is unwise. It's unjust. Now, let's be clear, God's route was not an easy route either. I mean, here, just, just in a short amount of time, they were to be sandwiched in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And, and again, they were tempted to doubt God, just as you and I are tempted to doubt God when things get difficult. But you and I have to trust in the wisdom of God. You know, the basic storyline of, of Joseph. You know that Joseph's brothers sold him in slavery. Sold him for a little bit of money, and, and Joseph, he, he's, in, he's in slavery, but, but then he sort of rises through the ranks, again, the providence of God, God working and orchestrating certain events, and, and it's a long story, but, but Joseph eventually gets to the point where he becomes second in command in, in Egypt, and, and this was the providence of God, this was the doing of God. Joseph is eventually reunited with his brothers, and, and part of the story is he's saving people from fam, famine, he's saving his own people from famine, and and in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph, he says one of the most profound statements in the Old Testament. He, he's talking to his brothers and he tells them that their act of slave, selling him into slavery turned into something good. In fact, he says this, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. He said what you intended for something bad 
God actually intended for good, which means that, that when we look at things going on in our own lives and in our world and wonder what's going on, we have to remember that there is a sovereign God who's orchestrating all things. He's not just dealing with things as they come, but He is behind all things somehow, many times unbeknownst to us, for our good and for His glory. And so what looked like bad was actually good, and we... Again, we don't always have to understand or even like. Sometimes we don't even like what God is, is, is doing. But we can trust that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8. He's working all things for their good according to His purposes. Which is conformity to Jesus Christ. Not just that God will give you good fortune, but all these things he's working to bring people to conformity in Christ. In many of life's circumstances, we do not know what's going on, but we have to trust in the wisdom of God, knowing that God is good, knowing that he's working out his sovereign purposes. And keep in mind just how limited you and I are in our perspective. I mean, our minds can't grasp the big picture. God knows what he's doing, but you and I may not know where we're going, but he is our, our guide. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? I haven't. Certainly you haven't. Nobody has. So what are we supposed to do when life takes us down a different path? We trust in the wisdom of God. But not only that, we rest in the promises of God. When the Israelites left Egypt, they took some things with them. Obviously, it was going to be a long journey, whether it was two weeks or 40 years. I don't know what they were expecting, but they took some things with them. To be precise, they took a lot of things from the Egyptians because God gave them these things. They took a bunch of riches. But verse 19 shows us that they took something else. They took Joseph's bones with them. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, verse 19, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now, now picture the scene with me. Here's a huge army of refugees. They're traveling. They're, they're like nomads in a desert. They're going to face extreme hunger and thirst and need of all sorts of kind. There's going to be seasons of, of betrayal, and when they fall out into outright rejection of God, and, and God disciplines them. I mean, it is not an easy 40 years by any means, and they're going to deal with sickness and war, and, and they're going to have to endure this trek into the promised land, and through all of this, the deserts, the mountains, droughts, famine, disease, war, and all of these things, they're carrying with them a bunch of old, decaying bones. Why in the world would they do that? I mean, did they put Joseph on some sort of pedestal as if they worshipped him? I mean, what was going on here? Well, the answer is quite simple. Joseph had made them promise because Joseph himself was so utterly confident in the promises of God. He knew that one day God was going to come and take his people and take them into a land that he was going to give to them. And, and he didn't know when it was going to happen. He didn't know how it was going to happen. But what he knew 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt was that God would do it. And so he said, when I die, take my bones with you because I know these promises are going to come true. 
no matter how long it takes. And I can just imagine through those 40 years, the Israelites were disobedient and, and had the ups and downs. I mean, those bones, they probably saw them and it was a, it was a rebuke to them because they were a testimony of, of a man who was just utterly confident in the promises and the providence of God. When Israel wandered far from obedience and wanted to turn, return back to Egypt as they They did again and again, Exodus 16, Exodus 17, Numbers 11, Numbers 14. I mean, over and over again, they said, hey, maybe we should go back. This isn't working out. We'd be better off in slavery than out here like this. Joseph's bones, though, were still there, saying to them, I know better about the ways of God. He leads us through strange and unplanned paths, but it's for his purposes. And like Joseph, you've been given a lot of promises. God is still in the business of keeping his promises. Like Joseph, we are looking for something else. And so, so one simple thing in your, in your daily Bible reading, one thing you should do is look, look for God. Where is God? What is he like? What is he doing? Where is Jesus? You should ask these questions and you should also ask the question, where are the promises of God in Scripture that I can rest in today? Because in the Bible we're promised many wonderful things, eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth. And in Hebrews, the author says, for we do not have an enduring city here, instead we seek one to come. And so everything about the Scripture says, put your trust in, in God. He's promised something better to come. And, and again, we don't know why God is always doing what God is doing, but it's, but it's enough for us to know that it is God who is doing all these things because His promises come true. And so you and I need to cling to those things. What are we supposed to do when the Lord takes us down a different path? We, we trust in His wisdom. We rest in His promises. But here's the third thing we're supposed to do. We move forward by His presence. The last three verses, they paint this picture, a wonderful picture of God's provision for His people. And in this text, God's provision comes by way of His presence. He's with them in a clear, continual, undeniable way. Look at, look at verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. The Lord went before them. What they had was His presence. They had a a cloud in the day and, and a pillar of fire at night. Now, a lot of scholars would try to deny this. They, they would say, you know, it didn't happen. Some have even suggested that it was just a natural rain cloud. The only problem with that claim, though, is that the pillar of cloud traveled with them in an arid desert for 40 years. Now, they didn't have GPS to show them the way out of Egypt. They didn't have MapQuest. It was the very presence of God who guided them. And so God had appeared to Moses, you remember in Exodus chapter 3, in the fire of the burning bush, and now he appears to Israel again in the very same way, but this time in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
all day long, all night long, God's presence never departing from them. He is with them. He, they didn't have to go alone. They didn't, they didn't have to figure out the way on their own. God went before them. He has a guidance that's comprehensive. It covers every moment of every day and every journey and every circumstance, everything leading to the promised land. Now I suspect that some of us might think the Israelites were a little bit better off than us. Right? I mean, some of us would say, hey, I wouldn't mind a cloud going before me, a pillar of fire guiding me and telling me where to, to live and who to marry and what job to take and where to go to college and how to make these decisions and, and, and where the best uh, Black Friday deals are. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we might think that, uh, that the Israelites are better off than us, but, but if we think that, we think about the glory cloud of the presence of of God before their very eyes and think they're so much better off than us, then our thinking is wrong. Because the presence of God that was there with them in the wilderness is just a sampling, it's just a shadow of the reality that's come to New Testament believers, to people of the, the New Covenant. After Christ's earthly ministry and his, his death, his burial, his crucifixion, his his resurrection, then his ascension, you and I now have something even greater. You and I have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't merely go before us or in the midst of us, but he dwells within us forever. The Spirit of God inhabiting the hearts of the people of God. And Paul referred to this in, in, in a lot of places. One of those is Colossians 1.27, and, and he describes this phenomenon as this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so Christ by the Spirit, not, not in a cloud, not in a pillar of fire, but Christ inside this body of believers, not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, but dwelling in the people of God. Think about Isaiah 63, 7-14. Isaiah was reflecting on the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the, and the parting of the Red Sea. And he, he said that when God delivered Israel at the Red Sea, He put His Spirit among the flock. But, it, but again, we have something far better. We have God putting His Spirit in every heart of every believer. Forever, that you and I can speak of the hope of glory. So if you've come to know the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, you're far better off today than the Hebrews were under the cloud and the fire. You have more light than they. You have more of God than they do. You have Christ dwelling within you by Spirit who leads you and guides you by the power of His Word, by the Scriptures, which, which back in Moses' day, you Remember, it was only a partial and incomplete, but now Jesus has come, and in our days, the, the Scriptures testify to this full, finished, sufficient work of Christ, and, and it is this God who dwells in our hearts by the Spirit. He directs us. He doesn't desert us. He walks down every dark path with us, through every rocky valley and every trial and every wound, through every loss, never leaving us, never forsaking us, bringing us back again and again to His promises giving us understanding into his word, directing our steps, saying this is the way, walk in it. If 
you're one with Christ, you're inhabited by the Spirit, then you're directed by the Word of Christ. And, and so you have, you have a privilege that's vast, that's incalculable, that's rich and sweet, so that through God, in His providence, He can lead you to hard places, through hard places, because the Spirit dwells within you. To be your comforter. And in the best of situations, in the worst of situations, He brings not only glory to His name, but He brings a blessing to His soul. And the difficult part is for us to trust Him, to rest in His promises, and to move forward by His presence. What are we supposed to do when the Lord takes us down a different path? You know, I think there's an important lesson that you and I learn from the Israelites, and it's, it's this. When, when the Lord guides us, it's, it demands our obedience, whether it makes sense or not. Numbers 9 makes this really clear that the cloud uh, that we just talked about would, would lift and they would go. As long as the cloud kept moving, they kept following. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. Sometimes it would stop for a night and go the next morning. Then it would stop for a few days and And so they would stop for a few days. The Israelites never knew from moment to moment, day to day, what this cloud was going to do next. But the presence of the Lord necessitated their obedience. Now this morning, I need to let you know that that in the life of our family, the Lord is taking us down a different path. One that we need to be obedient to. As of lately, my wife and I, we've, we've entered into a season of, of, of prayer, uh, assessment, and we've, just, we've been bringing a question before the Lord, and it's this, am, am I called to continue as the pastor of Crosspoint? And I need to let you know that this is not a, a quick thing, this is not an easy thing, but uh, we do believe that the Lord has been clear to us that I'm not. It's difficult for us. We love you all. We're... We're sad that, that this is, is where the Lord is leading us, but we, we trust Him in this. And, and so, so I want to let you know this morning that these past five years have been a great privilege for me. Um, you know, I'd served in several pastoral roles before coming here, but uh, this is my first uh, permanent senior pastor position. And, and so I want to thank you for the times in which you, you overlooked some of my mistakes. Uh, when I dropped the ball on things, but I also want to thank you for, for allowing me to be a part of your lives. I want to thank you for, for trusting in my leadership. And most of all, I want to thank you for giving me the privilege it is to, to share the word with you week in and week out. And I can say, with all honesty, the last five years has, has been a means of sanctification in, in my life. Um, as clear as the Lord has been in releasing us from a cross point, He's also been clear in in leading us to a new place of, of ministry. And so this winter, we're, we're going to relocate to, to another congregation, another state, where I'll assume the, the role of lead pastor there. And um, So I have a couple, couple weeks left with you here. And, um, but I want you to believe, I want you to know and, and just trust the fact that, that what, what we're doing is simply trying to be obedient to the path that the Lord has laid. I want nothing, nothing more than what's best for, for Crosspoint because we, like I said, we, we love you and we cherish you. And so, so we want these last couple of weeks to be a time where we, we, we can just say goodbye and we can spend time with you and we can create a transition as smooth as possible 
I will let you know that even though my role will be vacant for a while, you have an associate pastor here who is, is a man of integrity and, and whom I have full confidence in. You, you have a deacon body now that, that I know will serve you well. And, and because I believe that the Lord is calling Sarah and I down a different path, I, I also believe that the Lord is preparing the next person to lead Crosspoint. And, and so as, we, as you go through the season, I want, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you to trust in the wisdom of God, to rest in the promises of God, and to move forward by the presence of God. Father, we, we come before you this morning, and, and Lord, we do trust. We do trust in your leading and your guiding. We know that you work out all things together for the good of those who love you. We do love you. And we love your people. So, Father, we pray that during this time you would, you would do, despite maybe what we are thinking right now, you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. For the glory of Christ we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.